church. We're going to move again this week and go very, very quickly. And this morning, uh, we hopefully will finish up this section of Matthew chapter 5. And this morning, we are dealing with uh, a subject that, unfortunately, there are many churches that bypass this subject when they come to it. In fact, I told Second Service last week, I found it interesting that over half the commentaries that I looked at, and, and each week as I studied through commentaries, I was shocked at the number of commentaries that just went right by this section. Unwilling to deal with what God deals with very clearly in His Word. And I hope that today, though, while we are talking about a difficult subject, I want you to understand we are talking about a very clear subject. We're talking about something that God has not held back His revelation. He's not held back what His heart is, but He has given us His heart, and He wants us to know and understand the truth about marriage. He wants us to understand the truth about divorce. He wants us to understand the truth about remarriage. And this morning, as we go through, the first subject that we're going to deal with is this topic of divorce. Matthew actually deals with this subject as clearly as any other author of the Scripture. The Lord used Matthew to really answer the questions concerning this as he recorded not his words, but the words of Jesus. And both in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19, we find God's clear wording about divorce and about remarriage. If you remember the context, and, and folks, context is everything when you are studying the Word of God. If you remember context from last week, we have entered this section of Scripture where Jesus is trying to help the Pharisees understand their own sinful condition. And not just them, but the disciples that are sitting there who really are the ones that Jesus is speaking to. He's surrounded by a multitude of people, including the religious leaders, and he wants them to understand that there is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. What the, he's really saying is that if you are depending on your works to save you, your works won't be enough. If you are clinging to the hope that somehow you are good enough as you stand before God to earn or merit eternal life, Jesus is trying to explain to all of us that no one, no one, no one except the Son of God has fulfilled and kept the law. But the good news is we can have a righteousness that is greater than the Pharisees not one that we have, but one that is given to us. One that was given to us the day that Jesus died on the cross and he took our sin. He robed us, those who will claim Jesus by faith and surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Those who have done that, they are robed, not in their righteousness, in his perfect righteousness. But you see, like so many people, The religious leaders, and let's not just pick on them. Most of us struggle for anyone to call us a sinner. Nobody likes, how many of you are married in this room? Do you like it when your wife lets you know you're wrong? You lie, Ed, you lie. You're sinning right now. I thank God for our wives. But do you know how many times they have to speak into our lives? And help us. And, and it goes both ways. But in that moment, isn't it hard to be told you're wrong? 
that defensiveness just creeps in. And that defensiveness, those walls just go up. And folks, if we're not careful, that's what happens with a subject that we're going to deal with today. Rather than seeing the freedom, rather than seeing the truth that liberates us, it's sometimes hard to accept what God says. But I want you this morning to pray for open eyes and an open heart as we get to the heart of divorce. Because Jesus has been talking to these disciples, last week we talked about the fact that he was really driving home the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. Without those two things, any civilization, any culture crumbles. And he's continuing the discussion about the sanctity of marriage. He's actually still trying to convince the people that he's talking to that they have committed adultery, that they have committed murder, that in every way we break the Ten Commandments because though we may not break the letter of the law, we fail to understand the spirit of the law. And he said to those religious leaders, he said to those disciples that were there, he said to the whole crowd, Adultery even goes further than just looking after a woman with lust. Normally, we stop right there when we talk about this issue. But Jesus takes it a step further. You see, they were living in a society much like we live in today. What we call no-fault divorce isn't something that came with American culture. It's not something that came in the last 50 years, 100 years But the reality is they were struggling with the same issues that we struggle with today. And it had become commonplace in this point in Israel's history. Where many of the religious leaders, when if you had asked them, have you committed adultery? They'd say, no, we've never committed the act of adultery. Jesus said, well, let me ask you, have you lusted in your heart? And then he turns around and he brings up this issue of divorce. Because what had begun to actually happen in that culture is the same thing that has begun to happen in this culture. When we don't hold tightly to what God says about marriage, the permanence of marriage, when we minimize the standard that God has given to us, remember, he didn't come to change the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And what God requires of us is that we have one woman and one man who join their hearts and lives together for one lifetime. That's God's standard. That's God's desire for marriage. As we get into these words, we'll find that what had begun to happen in the Israelites' culture and in their life, and even amongst the religious leaders, there were two main thoughts, really, in the New Testament. In the culture that Jesus was speaking into concerning divorce, there were two rabbis that really had become the men that were looked to to describe and understand what this issue meant biblically. One was Shammai, and Shammai, when you understand his line of thinking and really what he held to, he believed the words of the prophet Malachi when Malachi stated that God hates divorce. Folks, there is a statement that is given to us in the word of God that is not lacking in clarity. It's not lacking in in understanding. It's not lacking. It's not something that we can't grasp or hold to. All of us understand what the Bible means, what Malachi meant. We understand the statement clearly that God hates divorce. Because, folks, whatever led to that divorce, let me tell you what that was. It was sin. 
whether it was sin on behalf of one person, sin on behalf of two people, the reality is the reason this issue, the reason God stepped forward and made it clear through his prophet that he hates divorce is because our marriages are supposed to mirror the relationship that we have with God. And folks, let me tell you something about the relationship we have with God. One of the greatest things that we cling to as believers is that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will never what? Leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. One of the foundations of our salvation is the truth that there is a permanence to our salvation. And folks, you know why we need that? Because in our relationship with Jesus, he's perfect, isn't he? In every way. And yet it's hard to be married to Jesus, isn't it? Not because of Jesus, but because of who? Because of me. If our walk with Jesus is hard, when one of you in that relationship is perfect, how hard do you think marriage is going to be? Where two of you are imperfect. And yet the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives... is to hold high the sanctity of marriage. While Shammai takes the understanding, and, and if you were to ask me which school am I going to be in, it would be in this one. Because he said outside of infidelity, outside of fornication, outside of sexual immorality, he taught that marriage was meant to be permanent outside of that one issue. And we're going to talk about that a little bit deeper and a little bit further. But Halil was the other school of thought, the other rabbi that was teaching. And it was really the majority thought in this day from the religious leaders. And what he taught was that basically any man, because this was a patristic society, this was a society where women had very few rights, if at all. That literally the man could divorce his wife for anything that displeased If your wife burned her, your food, guess what you could do? You could divorce her. If you didn't like the way she dressed, guess what you could do? You could divorce her. If you didn't like the way she looked, guess what you could do? You could divorce her. And folks, we see even in this day, in this age, in biblical times, what we claim and what we call no-fault divorce. I'm just not happy. I'm just done. And then come the words of Jesus. In verse 31, he says, It is said that whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You can see why many pastors don't want to preach this subject. Because there's no way around the truth of what God's word claims today. 
And for some reason, we have elevated divorce to this topic that we can't discuss. Folks, sin is sin is sin. Your sin may be divorce. Your sin may be pornography. Your sin may be addiction. Your sin may be you have a foul mouth. Your sin could be anything and everything. What I know is that all of us in this room are sinners who need grace. Sinners who need forgiveness. And as we address this concept and this understanding of God hating divorce, folks, you have to understand that if there is something that wells up within you that resists the clear teaching of Scripture, let me tell you why it's there. It's because you haven't dealt with the things that have occurred, the choices that you've made, the events of your life. You haven't reconciled them with God the way that you need to. Because, folks, I can tell you this. There have been many days in my life where I've abused alcohol. But you can preach on alcohol today, and you know what? It doesn't offend me. You know what I say when they preach it? Amen, because I know the dangers of abusing alcohol. You could preach on any topic. That when I was an unbeliever that I dealt with, that I wrestled with, even as a believer, the sins... That over time, God has helped me to overcome. Folks, when you truly overcome those things and when you truly find the forgiveness and the grace that God wants to give you, when you hear those things taught, when you hear those things preached, you find that you begin to say amen because you don't want anyone to travel down the road that you yourself have traveled. Because you know that God has a better way and a better plan And folks, Jesus is here today, and he extends grace to the sin of divorce like he extends grace to any other sin in Scripture. But to sit back and to say that especially divorce that is unmerited, unwarranted, that is what we would call no-fault divorce, I'm just not happy. Folks, to not call that sin is to call God a liar. These people were living in a permissiveness. These religious leaders who would have said, I've never committed adultery, what he is saying to them is that if you've divorced your wife without just cause, which is sexual immorality, he says, then you've caused her to commit adultery when she remarries somebody else. And if a man remarries a woman who was divorced without cause of sexual morality, he says, then guess what? When you marry that woman, you yourself do what? Isn't that what it says? You can see. Folks, I can take the heat. I'm not worried about what you think because these are not my words. These are God's words. And what he's saying is that divorce multiplied. You know what it commits over and over and over? You know what begins to happen to a society is that they delve not just into divorce, but that divorce becomes what? Adultery multiplies. He's trying to get those men to understand that in so many ways you have misunderstood the sanctity of marriage. And while you say you're not an adulterer, the reality is he's trying to get them to see that in so many ways... 
we miss the spirit of what God's intention is for our life. Divorce was commonplace. Folks, you say, what are the reasons that God gives for divorce? I've heard it said even this week. Some people say that there are four reasons. Most people would say, what about addiction? Some people would ask, what about abuse? Some people would ask, what about abandonment? Some people would ask, what about adultery, unfaithfulness? Folks, as I read the scriptures, and you can go back over to Matthew chapter 19. In fact, I don't mind reading that to you just to clarify, because Matthew 19 probably gives the clearest answer, because they asked Jesus this question. When you go to Matthew 19, you go to verse 3 and listen to the words. It says, the Pharisees, now, of course, they have questions. Jesus just called them out, teaching the disciples publicly. He calls out the very teaching that they teach and they hold to and they claim is true. It says, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Fair question. It's a question that many of us ask. Can I just divorce my wife? I'm, I, I'm not happy. I, I, we just don't love each other. Whatever reason, for any reason at all, listen to the words of Jesus. And he answered and said, have you not read that he, meaning God, created them from the beginning? He made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, see that answer wasn't adequate for them. And they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away, which we'll talk about that command. And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. And I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now see, the disciples are just like you. They're just like me. When I've had to wrestle through the implications of these verses, listen to the words of the disciples as Jesus teaches them. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. Again, is that an ambiguous text? Is it hard to understand? No. It's hard to accept. I love the honesty of the disciples. That's hard to accept, Jesus. If marriage is that permanent, then maybe we should not even get married. And Jesus says, in essence, you really need to think about it. You really need to understand what it is that you're getting into. When these 
religious leaders were questioning Jesus about the commands of Moses. It's out of Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is the command that they are referring to. It is the command that Jesus is responding to when he began this section. Remember he said, you heard it said by the ancients, by the religious leaders, by the scribes, by the priests. You've been taught this, and what is this? Well, it's actually out of Deuteronomy chapter 24. The problem is they've misinterpreted the text. The problem is they've twisted the text. The word we get for twisted here is actually to pervert. When we think pervert, we always think sexual perversion, right? But the reality is any truth that you twist, any truth of God that you take and you manipulate and you take away from it or you add to it, the reality is you are twisting and perverting God's word. And that's exactly what they've done. That's exactly what Jesus is challenging them on, for, on here. He says, as I'm teaching you, this is what you've heard all your life, that Moses permitted people to just get divorced whenever they wanted to. And the proof for them was Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. Let me read it to you. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take again or take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. You shall not bring sin on the land for which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. You see, what they fail to understand is the simplicity of this text. They took what he said here to be a command, to be an allowance. Folks, you will not find anywhere in Scripture where God commands and says to us that divorce is a good, needed, necessary thing. I would declare to you today that even among the four things that we give as reasons for divorce, unfortunately what has happened in our culture and what has happened even within our churches is that rather than divorce being the final option, many times it becomes the first option. In Deuteronomy 24, this was given... For them to understand that if for whatever reason you choose to give your wife a certificate of divorce, don't think that if she remarries, and even if that husband dies, you cannot then take her back as your wife. That's what the text is getting at. That's what all four. Now, if you just take chapter verse one, then, yeah, you can make it sound like, hey, Moses said, you want a divorce you can just divorce your spouse because in verse one that's all that verse one says but with verse one came verse two and came verse three and came verse four and those verses were pointing out to those people that divorce defiles let me give you the picture of what he's really getting at the reason jesus said and the reason jesus mentioned in matthew chapter 19 he went all the way back to the book of Genesis. And I'm really giving you most of the verses that exist in Scripture pertaining to this subject. In the beginning, when he made man and woman, remember he took the rib of Adam and he woke up and there is Eve. Whoa, man, right? 
God instituted in that moment marriage. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall what? Cleave to his wife. That word cleave, you know, it's hard to almost decipher and understand that word. A good way to think of it is like that cleaving is like glue. It's the taking of two lives. If we were to take, uh, Teddy does construction. Teddy, if you took two pieces of plywood and you took liquid nails and you just smathered it all in between those two pieces of wood and you put them together, what has just happened? They've cemented them. They've become one. And the reality is there's no way to get those two pieces of wood apart unless you do what? Unless you destroy it. The idea that you can take apart what God has put together, the idea that two people can walk away and be whole. Folks, I grew up in a home with divorce. Let me tell you something. There is no way for it to go back the way that it was. The ramifications of our choices, it's like the pebble thrown into the water. It it ripples. And it affects and consumes many That's how sin is. That's how any sin is. That's how your alcoholism is. That's how your pornography is. That's how any other addiction that you have is. That's how when you speak to your wife in ways that do not honor God, it not just affects you, but it affects the generations of children coming up behind your children. And he says that that's what marriage was meant to be from the beginning, that God so melds two together that you cannot technically do what? And folks, before you say, well, that's not fair, let me tell you something. I wake up every day praising God that that's the promise he gave to me. That no matter what I do, nothing can take me from his hand. Remember we said when we started this whole series that grace, we talked about Nehemiah too, is the easiest thing to receive, it's the hardest thing to give away. And folks, this matters to us spiritually because if Jesus acted towards us the way we act towards others, where would we be many times? Do you see why this matters? you see the spirit of what he's getting at? Now, folks, let me, and this is, you can forget the rest of the text. We're going to end up staying here today, and we'll pick up the rest some other time. The hard part about teaching these, I think sometimes the reason pastors stay away is because, you know, the reality is every circumstance, every marriage looks so different. The circumstances, they all look so different. And it's hard to stand up in a 30-minute period, 40-minute period, and answer the questions about every single marriage, what should have been done, what shouldn't have been done. And the reality is people come into a room like this, and they hope for the answer that just fits perfectly their small niche of circumstance. Well, that's a task I can't accomplish in 30 minutes. But let me tell you, let me me deal with those four. I believe that two of them are reasons by which you should, or you can, I'm not even going to say you should, that you are justified in divorce and given the ability to remarry. 
Because really, when you talk about divorce, you only have four options, really. I mean, here are the four things. You either never divorce and never remarry, and that's one way of thinking about it. I think that's a hard position because of what Jesus just said. Never divorce, never remarry. Jesus spoke differently to that, right? Some people say you can divorce, but you can never remarry. Again, I think that's a hard position because Jesus just spoke to the issue that because of infidelity, a person is free and can remarry. Of course, you have the position of you can divorce and remarry. Doesn't matter when, what, where, how. Obviously, that's not true because of what Jesus has just spoken. I believe he gives because of infidelity, which is the fourth understanding. That because of infidelity, a man may choose to divorce. But I want you to hear what I said again. Divorce should be the final option, not the first option. Folks, some of the best marriages in this room, let me tell you something. I know because I counseled them through it. I know because I walked with them through it. I'm telling you some of the strongest marriages in this church, you know what they have survived? Infidelity. You say no one should ever have to take back someone who has been unfaithful. You better think hard about that statement because Jesus says you committed adultery against him. That's what the Old Testament scripture says. You failed to obey God's covenant, though he was always completely faithful. And he actually refers to us as adulterers. Isn't that the whole book of Hosea? When he wanted to teach Hosea and the Israelites a lesson, he said, your wife, who has become a temple prostitute, not just cheated on you once, but has become a temple prostitute. I want you to go and I want you to buy her back and I want you to restore your relationship with her so that all of Israel might see exactly how it is that I deal with them. Do you see the grace in that? Are there times where a person continues and continues and continues and pursues that relationship and abandons the spouse and moves on? Yes, and in that regard, I believe the Bible sets you free and has that final option to divorce and to remarry. Some people take what the Apostle Paul said over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where he says that concerning divorce and marriage, and again, Paul's in the same discussion as Jesus was, where they were having trouble accepting, even Paul is saying, look, it's better that some of you probably don't marry. He literally, in that conversation, talks about abandonment. and says, what do you do if you have an unbelieving spouse? Now catch that, an unbelieving spouse. Not just any spouse, an unbelieving spouse. You're a believer. They're an unbeliever and they abandon you. Paul seems to say that you are free there. The problem with what Paul said was he said, I command not the Lord. And so a lot of people question what does that abandonment mean? I can tell you this from all the years of doing what it is that I do is that normally it's not the abandonment that's going to become the issue with the divorce. It's going to become the issue that once you are abandoned, what are they going to do? They're going to seek another relationship. The reality is most people never abandon the one they're with until they've what? Found somebody else. That's what gives them the courage to do what they're about to do. And then guess where you are? You're right back on the sexual immorality, infidelity issue. 
And I don't know that I see the two of those as separate as much as Paul recognizing that in that issue when your spouse abandons you and you have pursued and you have offered grace and you have offered forgiveness, there is going to become a time when that person is going to abandon their vows. The harder of the two are adultery or are addiction and abuse. Folks, I want you to hear me unequivocally. I want you to hear me as clearly as you could possibly hear me. Ladies, your submission is not submission to be abused. Do you hear me? You say, what happens in a situation where a man or a woman is caught up in addiction or abuse? You know what you do? You don't hide it. You uncover it. You know what you do? You say, well, do I have to stand there and be? No, you do not have to stand there and be abused. A man is responsible for the decisions that he is making. And if you are being physically abused, the best advice that I can give you is to report that abuse. person that you're with is struggling with addiction especially we're talking here as believers right yes then we're accountable to each other your submission does not extend to the covering of another's sin and if your spouse is struggling with addiction and you have gone and they've not been willing to repent and you're struggling and your family is struggling with the addiction that is going on, you need to take another step and go and involve another person and involve a pastor and involve the church or do whatever is necessary to exert church discipline, which Jesus Christ has given to us to help us take believers who are in sin and to bring them back. Don't let anyone, don't let any pastor ever tell you that submission flows over into abuse. And folks, it happens. There are people in this room who even trying to confess their sin have had pastors say, you need to keep that to yourself. Shame on them. Sin grows in darkness. And folks, while I cannot tell you in good conscience that because your spouse has an addiction, you should divorce them, I can in good conscience tell you that you need to tell someone. And they need the accountability and they need the church discipline. And folks, if it turns toward abuse in a situation that is not livable, I will even direct you towards separation for a time. For them to understand the gravity of what it is that they are choosing and what it is that they are doing. But folks, I cannot tell you to divorce and then tell you that you are free to remarry. Because I would be telling you something the scripture doesn't tell you. Is that a hard teaching? Folks, let me be clear again. No one should be living under abuse. Deal with it. Report it. 
get out from under that abuse. But folks, in every situation, no matter which one we've talked about this morning, here is the truth. Divorce should always be the final option, not the first option. We have to give God time to restore, to heal, to help. Not a fun Sunday. Can we all be honest with that? This isn't, you know, the funnest Bible study. But let me tell you why he gave us each part of his word, because it takes us towards life. And this is like the surgery that's needed to cure the cancer that is in our culture. This is like the chemotherapy that while it is not fun, folks, the truth is. And let me let me close with this. My mother is not a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, while she may believe that he was and he's a person in history, she doesn't reject all that. She's never surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. And my mother, as an unbeliever, did something a few years ago that I'll never forget, that I greatly appreciated. See, I never really understood why my parents were divorced. I still don't know to this day that I understand all the dynamics. I was five years old. It was a few years ago that I was sitting in the car with my mother, who I again remind you was an unbeliever. And these are the words that she said to me. She said, Aaron, I'm proud of you for the way that you lead your family. She said, I've watched you and Melanie love each other. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the sickness, through the health. She said, I've watched you keep all of your vows to each other, and I've watched you raise your beautiful daughters. And she says, I need to say something to you. And I, I, I was, I didn't even know where she was really going. But you know what she said to me? She says, I regret that I didn't fight for my marriage the way that the two of you have fought for yours. She says, your father and I were young. Your father and I made bad choices. Your father and I could have had the life that you two have, and we could have given you the life that you've given your kids. We just chose not to. And she said, I'm sorry. That to me is courage. I'm sure she could have given me a thousand reasons. But praise God, my mom came to the conclusion that for most of us, life is about choices every day. And I know that day she was freed. I know that day I was freed. And I hope that today you will be freed. Because folks, is there life after divorce? I hope so. Because while I've never suffered a divorce, I've suffered many other sins. 
And I've made many other wrong choices. And every day, you know what? I depend on grace, mercy, God's love and forgiveness. And I'm grateful that you know what he does? He takes yesterday's page and he rips it off and says, son, let's start again. And folks, if you came in here today so unsettled because of the topic, then you may be one of those people that need to let God rip that page off. Because we can't change what is, can we, church? We can't change what's been. But I'll tell you this. I want to see us reverse this divorce rate in this country that exists outside these walls at the same rate it exists inside these walls. I want us to hold to the sanctity of marriage. Amen? And we do that when we lean on God. So find your freedom today, church. As Kevin comes, find your freedom and allow the Holy Spirit of God to do in you what he desires to do. Folks, happy marriages don't just happen. We choose a mate wisely. We display love and commitment and trust and understanding and sacrifice. It is hard work. I want to encourage you today. Some of you are contemplating divorce right now. Go back and remember your vows. Because next week, guess what we're going to talk about? Maybe the week after. Vows. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And then we're going to talk about mercy. And then we're going to see how it all fits together. I wish I could talk faster and get it all in one service. Be free. Let Christ free you today. And get back to the hard work of walking with your mate, your spouse with whom you've been made one. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we go into this invitation, I don't even know where the hearts of all of our people are. I don't know what you're seeking to do this morning. I just know that we've come to this place in Scripture, and I wouldn't dare ignore what you've clearly said in your word. For, Lord, you gave us your word so that we might have life and all that we need for godliness. So, Father, rather than reject your word today, I pray that we would receive it. And that we would be open to the idea and the understanding that even the hardest places in scriptures are meant to free us, to teach us about you and about ourselves. And, God, I just pray that today healing would come, that new pages would be written on, the old covenants would be kept and God that we wouldn't see one more divorce suffered amongst your people God set us free today in Jesus name amen church pray pray for those marriages you know are struggling pray for those people who today are wrestling with the past Maybe this isn't where you are living today, but somebody very near you is. Close your eyes this morning. Pray for yourself. Pray for them. Pray